This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a good afternoon. Claudette, you uh, you in the lineup to get a COVID shot or a flu shot this year? Getting mine tomorrow, actually. Are you? Yeah, I get them as soon as anything is available. I get everything up to date. I'm just a big believer in it. So. Uh, as, as am I. And yeah. uh, myself and my family got ours last week. And oh, man, prepare yourself. Why? Uh, we had quite the reaction what? I must say. Oh, yeah. I've never had that problem. Not a real bad reaction, okay. but just like very, very, um, just feeling fluish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. And it happened to me once before, and then I had I a remember. couple others, and no trouble whatsoever, and then bango. Did you, so did you get both? Uh, yes, we question? did get both. And in fact, I got the old Moderna arm. Is that what they call it? With the oh. real sore arm. It's only now going away. And we had ours over a week ago. Um, but there you have it. I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, COVID vaccines and the like with uh, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald in just a moment. But RCMP uh, right now advising the public of an increased police presence related to an ongoing police operation in the area of Ridge Road in Harbour, Maine this hour. Residents asked to remain away from this area. No immediate threat to public safety. Updates will follow. So if you are noticing an increased police presence in Harbour, Maine in the area of Ridge Road, that is the reason why there's an ongoing police operation in the area. Residents are asked to stay away from the area for the time being, but there is no immediate threat to public safety and they'll provide us an update as soon as it becomes available. So uh, we appreciate that little bit of um, um, advisory, I suppose. And if uh, people are in the Harbour, Maine area wondering what's on the go, that is what is happening. So uh, we'll keep you up to date and appraised on that. Well, as we were just mentioning, uh, COVID and seasonal flu vaccine clinics now underway right across the province in anticipation of the coming flu season. The latest COVID numbers released this week show that there were 56 hospitalizations due to the virus and two deaths over the last month. Well, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Dr. Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. So what is the current situation when it comes to uh, COVID rates in the province? Yeah, so at the moment, you know, we're seeing a slight elevation of uh, COVID-19 activity when we compare it to, say, the summer. Um, but that's not un unusual or unexpected for this time of year. We're seeing a similar increase across the country. Um, there's a... Uh, you know, a slight increase in hospitalizations at this time, but uh, we saw that last year um, as well in the fall, a little bit earlier this year than last year, but not, uh, uh, you know, alarmingly uh, so. And um, wastewater levels are uh, elevated compared to the summer months, again, but similar to trends and levels that we saw this time last year, say. So so we're certainly seeing a little bit of an increase in activity of COVID, um, but, uh, but not an unexpected amount at this point. Are you comfortable with the monitoring tools where they are now, or might there be a shift at some point to get, you know, more accurate uh, uh, and, um, you know, in real time kind of uh, figures? 
Um, well, I mean, what, what we have right now for COVID is, is as recent as it can be, um, but uh, the testing that's happening right now is testing for clinical reasons, and and so we are seeing, uh, you know, any people who are presenting uh, for care, if they need to have testing done, that's where the, most of our results are coming from. Hospitalizations, of course, is, is probably our best indicator, really, because that's going to be the number of people hospitalized is irrespective of the number of people getting tested, right? If you're if you're sick enough to go to hospital and then get tested, well, that's that's sort of a um, a pretty consistent indicator of uh, what's happening with COVID out there. And what sort of variants are out there now? So certainly we're seeing uh, uh, Omicron, pretty much all Omicron variants. Um, so we're seeing the uh, EG5 variants in its descendants as well as uh, XBB variants. So, uh, you know, we're seeing pretty much what's been circulating um, across the country at this time. And will the latest vaccines uh, help to protect against those? Yeah, so the latest vaccines uh, that's out now uh, have XBB um, variants or are against XBB variants, which is what the World Health Organization recommended. And um, so uh, both of what, both of the vaccines that we have right now um, are against the XBB variants. So um, it's anticipated that they will be effective uh, in that regard. What's the uptake been like now so far on uh, both COVID and flu vaccines this fall? Yeah, so it's still fairly early days for both of those. And, uh, you know, we're seeing uptake as as per norm um, this time of the year. It's, uh, you know, people who have concerns about um, being at higher risk for uh, severe disease of either flu or COVID that uh, that we're seeing. So, you know, the uh, older age groups, we're seeing a, a slightly higher uptake, but still, uh, still only a modest uptake at this point. So we're really trying to encourage people to get out there and get their vaccinations. Um, and, uh, you know, both vaccines are available at And she, uh, unfortunately, we've uh, lost her just for the moment, uh, but uh, seasonal vaccines available uh, at various uh, pharmacies. Uh, you just have to uh, go through their own processes to uh, book that. And, uh, of course, through the uh, provincial governments, uh, I think it's take the shot, get the shot. <laughs> we'll have that for you available in uh, just a little while. Well, coming up, the Bank of Canada holds its key lending rate, but homeowners who carry a mortgage still feeling the pinch. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back, and uh, it's not unusual for us to give out uh, traffic advisories, but uh, VOCM's Brian Medora is on the line with a pedestrian advisory, and this is a serious one, Brian. I think it is. Uh, I just took my dog up to the uh, St. John's Vet Clinic on Freshwater Road, so on the way back, uh, I'm going by that intersection by, say, Traders, the Bigs, Stockwoods, that area there, Stamps Lane, Freshwater, Oxenbond Road. And I'm waiting to cross, and I look, and I see the green paint on the sidewalk. And I look down, and the, the sidewalk, like almost a whole square, like I'd say about 18 inches by 18 inches, uh, has just 
given way. And so anybody, this is, you know, Friday night, it gets dark in a couple of hours. Anybody walking down, say, on the right-hand side of Stamps Lane, on the on the big side, if you will, uh, right at the intersection of Freshwater Road, I mean, you could do some serious damage to your leg, your ankle, uh, your whole body, because if you, you know, going any... Uh, speed at all uh, you're just you're going to fall flat on your face on concrete so I, they have it marked off but there's no barricade there so there's I'm, I'm gonna put it out on social media but i just got back from the uh, bringing the dog back to the house and uh, said i gotta get this out el pronto i sent you a picture it is i, I don't know if i've seen an open sidewalk uh, like that before where there is such a such a hole it's uh we're not talking about like a car you know where you're gonna uh you know damage a wheel or something like that Uh, a lot of people go through that intersection on foot i do all the time and uh, oh boy it's uh it's a pretty dangerous situation yeah there's a bit of uh, neon green paint uh sprayed around it directly around the circumference of this thing it looks like you know one of those little uh, recesses inside the sidewalk where they have access you can get access to the traffic lights it looks like someone smashed it open or that's what it appears to be to me yeah i don't know Uh, they had it marked off for some reason there had to be you know some kind of a weakening of the structure but i think since they uh city officials would never just mark it with green paint like that and leave it in that situation you put a barricade up or some kind of extra you know resistance kind of thing so i i I, and i put it out on social and i'll contact the city but I was so alarmed when I saw that. And there was a girl coming right behind me, and she was on her cell phone and not really looking down. So I just stayed right there and said, pointed it uh, out to her. And she was, like, taken aback as well that you would have such a situation there. It's, uh, it's, it's really dangerous. You can imagine the traffic, especially after dark on a Friday night in that area. So, And, of course, a lot of trees uh, losing their leaves this time of year. That could be covered over and not visible for a variety of reasons. Oh, yeah, you, you just don't know. I uh, saw a cardboard box there. I was almost going to put a cardboard box over it as anything, but then I thought, well, any kind of a breeze, you know, that's going to be... Uh, hindrance more than anything because that could be anywhere and people step around the cardboard box right into the hole so uh, I said I better just leave it wide open so that at least people have a chance to see it but once it turns dark uh, your opportunities you know certainly would diminish in that area for uh, walking around it that there's got to be a barricade put up there very very soon so that's Stamps Lane yeah, it's kind of right across from Traders. Uh, Traders is at Stamps Lane and Freshwater Road. So if you go right across from Traders, uh, say if you're headed towards downtown, that's the other side of Stamps Lane. It'd be if you're coming from Empire Avenue or Wishing Well and, say, going to, you know, University Avenue, for example, or the Parkway would be on that right-hand side of Stamps Lane uh, just before, you, right at the Freshwater intersection okay. not on the bit not on the big side just before the big side gotcha uh well brian th- i'll send you some pictures of the actual intersection i, I sent a pic of the actual hole uh, that you mentioned and i'll send a picture of the actual intersection where you can actually you can and i shot it quite a ways down right by the bigs and you can see you can you can see the the green uh resonance uh just even from that shot all right appreciate this brian thank you
Right, you are. Okay. Uh, and uh, be aware of that if you happen to be um, walking in that area. It is a hazard if you don't see it. Well, the Bank of Canada holding its key lending rate at 5%, but it's leaving the door open for future rate increases. A recent survey commissioned by online mortgage marketplace ratefilter.ca shows that 62% of Canadians asked say they are no, they are struggling to make ends meet and that more than 30% of their pre-tax income is going to housing. Well, Andy Hill is a mortgage broker and co-founder of ratefinder.ca. He joins me now. Well, hello, Andy. Hey. So um, the Bank of Canada holding its uh, key lending rate at 5%, but the struggle, the strain is still being felt by homeowners who are really fearful about what's going to happen uh, come renewal renew, renewal time and the like. Uh, what has your survey found? Well, we found that uh, Canadians don't have a lot of savings for the possibility if they, you know, if they were to lose their jobs. So 51% of people that we surveyed would not last more than three months without missing a mortgage payment uh, if they lost their primary source of income. And then 62% of people that we surveyed were paying more than the guided amount of their pre-tax income on housing. So, you know, there's no doubt that uh, costs for Canadians have gone up dramatically over the past 18 months, and this survey kind of spoke to that. That's troubling. Um, How do we get ourselves out of this situation? Well... I think it should naturally fix itself in a way. Um, Certainly some borrowers are going to be faced with some very tough decisions. Um, If they're right at the end of their rope today and they were to lose their job, you know, I think there's a good chance that they may have to sell or downsize to realize some of the equity in their home and maybe try to start again. But this should be, just like the pandemic was, a short-term cycle, and we should, barring any large change, normalize at, at lower rates than, than we have today. Now, granted, uh, rates were at uh, all-time lows, were they not, uh, just a short while ago? Uh, You know, did enough um, uh, lenders and did enough uh, people who are seeking out mortgages uh, factor in any kind of um, wiggle room in case rates did increase? Well, the tough thing is, is the stress test at the time was 5.25%. So although Canadians were writing their mortgages in the pandemic at two and a half percent or, you know, we even saw some really crazy deals at one and a half percent or even less than that, the payments that the government wanted everyone to qualify under was 5.25 percent. Today, rates are marginally higher than that. If you were going to renew your mortgage today, uh, probably the lowest rate you could see was a, is about 5.5%. Uh, 
so that that is a little higher. And if you're at a bigger bank, that might be six and a half percent. So it's tough because the majority of people, none of us really saw this coming, especially to the degree that it has come. And so we'll have to see just where things land. I, I equate this almost to a pendulum. The pandemic was one side of that swing of the pendulum. We're at the exact opposite side. And hopefully that's going to come back somewhere closer to the middle. Are we going to see more and more people uh, moving away from those variable rate options when it's uh, time to either get a mortgage or renew a mortgage? It's it's tough. I mean, if you were a first-time home buyer and in the pandemic you locked a very low variable rate mortgage and you'd never had a variable rate mortgage before, those scars are going to run pretty deep. It's going to be hard for you to probably take the variable ever again. But if you're somebody that's had a mortgage for 10, 15, 20 years prior to the pandemic, then I often say the variable rate mortgage is more of a cost averaging strategy. Those individuals saw a precipitous decline in interest rates you know, over the past 20 years. And the past 18 months, they've given a little bit of that back. But for all intents and purposes, we're assuming that rates will probably normalize lower. And so those borrowers that have maybe gotten more equity in the home over the past number of years, and, you know, they've been kind of diehard variable rate mortgage holders, I feel like those individuals will probably stick it out as it's a longer term strategy, the variable rate. Andy Hill, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. And Andy Hill is a mortgage broker and co-founder of RateFinder.ca. Well, the province's fishery, as we all know, has consistently brought in more than a billion dollars in market value for the uh, province for the better part of a decade. Executive Director of the Association of Seafood Producers, Jeff Loader, was one of a number of people who made um, uh, presentations today to the municipalities of Newfoundland and Labrador's annual general meeting at the St. John's Convention Centre. Here's some of what he had to say. Ensuring a healthy and robust future for the seafood industry is a critically important public policy issue in this province. As we all witnessed this year, when there are issues in the fishery, communities, residents, plant workers, harvesters, and processors across this province are negatively impacted. Despite the challenges the fishing industry faced this past season, we are hoping for a smoother season ahead and many more seasons in the future. Our members believe through open discussions and cooperation from all parties, working on seeking a balance between harvesters and processors to ensure the lucrative fishery is beneficial to all. And while historically there has been a lot of negativity and conflict in the fishery, our members know that it's time for a different approach. One that puts all of us on the same team, working together to improve quality, increase market access, and grow our industry. In order to maintain quality and create additional employment 
We need to pace the harvesting and processing to ensure safety in the workplace and the production of a premium quality product. And while I'm talking about quality and processing, we must once again thank plant workers. There are numerous plant workers in this room who across this province worked tirelessly for weeks to ensure that crab was processed this year despite very exceptional circumstances. So thank you for that. We all benefit when the fishery succeeds. It is for this reason that our members have made a public commitment to be transparent, to ensure Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are truly aware of the facts. As we did this past year, we will continue to provide regular public updates and will be open and transparent so that all the residents in this province know exactly what the situation in the fishery is. For too long, there has been too much focus on, by all stakeholders on issues related to price as opposed to how we can work together to maximize the value of the fishery. We need to focus on sharing formulas that are fair, but also realistic and based on what the market will pay for products. It is time for this to change. We all need to get in the same boat and row in the same direction. The fishery is the backbone and lifeblood of rural Newfoundland and Labrador, and all stakeholders have a responsibility to work towards enhancing and growing our industry. We need partnerships and cooperation, not conflict. We must be aligned to achieve common goals. So that's uh, some of what uh, Jeff Loader had to say today at the municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador AGM at the St. John's Convention Centre today. Coming up after the news with Noah Shepard, opposition leader Tony Wakeham calls for the resignation of the minister responsible for Newfoundland and Labrador housing, Paul Pike. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, the opposition leader, Tony Wakeham, calling for the resignation of Housing Minister Paul Pike. Wakeham spoke with reporters earlier today, including VOCM's Richard Duggan. I wanted to come out this morning and express my uh, disappointment and my frustration with the lack of leadership on this whole housing crisis. The people of the province have lost confidence in their Minister of Housing, and I'm calling on the Premier to restore that confidence by taking action to ensure that there's leadership on such an important issue facing the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. I think that with what we've seen over the last week and a half at the houses set has been simply nothing but confusion. While the government announced the new housing plan, they've come out with conf confusing statements. One day they have 750 new homes, the next day they have 11. One day they have the 32 units in Cornerbrook are part of a 143 unit build and then they're not. And now we find out that the 32 units that they talked about are actually going to be torn down because they've gotten to the point where they no longer can be prepared. That's a lack of leadership. When you have confusion in a crisis, then you have no leadership. And the people of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador certainly have heard nothing but confusion around this issue. 
And when you have a minister of the crown who refuses to answer questions or is not allowed to answer questions in the House of Assembly, when you have a minister of the crown who refuses to come and meet with the media and talk about this crisis or is not allowed to come and meet with the media, then we have a lack of confidence. Lack of confidence by the Premier and a lack of confidence by the people in Newfoundland and Labrador. And this has to change. We cannot continue to have a housing crisis without leadership. It demands it. The people in Newfoundland and Labrador demand it. And yesterday, we saw another example of that. You know, I've met with the people across the street, and they talked about needing safe accommodations, a safe place to live. And what did this Liberal government do? They sent them to shelters or to homes that were rat-infested, with blood on the rat poison. And you've all seen the pictures. How did that even happen? How did that happen at all? And so those are critical things that are going on right now, which highlights the fact that there is no leadership and there is no plan. And that is, and it's not about being a politician. It's being about a person who lives in Newfoundland and Labrador. And there are people who are homeless in Newfoundland and Labrador right now. There are people who can't afford to stay in their own homes, who are struggling, seniors and others, with the cost of living. And then we have couples, people who have bought new homes, who now are faced with increased interest rates. I've heard one story of as much as a $700 increase on their mortgage. These are real people, Newfoundland and Labrador, and they deserve a government who's prepared to turn around and say, we're going to be dealing with this, not to turn around and say, we're not sure whether we have new bills or don't have new bills. So those are the reasons, and that's why I'm here. The Premier of this province needs to take action, and he needs to take it today. So what specific action do, you, do they need to take? Well, I know what I'd be doing, and I'll leave it up to the Premier, but the Premier makes the ultimate decision. But we need leadership on this issue. We need leadership to deal with the housing crisis that's happening in our province right now. And if the current Minister of Housing is not capable of doing that, then the Premier needs to decide who is. So are you calling for him to be removed as Minister? I'm calling for the Premier to take action. And if the people of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador have lost confidence, if the Premier has lost confidence in his Minister of Housing by refusing to allow him to answer questions or refusing to allow him to speak to the media, then obviously the Premier needs to take that action. I think the issue for us has been exactly that. We've asked lots of questions around the housing situation, trying to get an understanding of where we are, what exactly has been built, what's planned to be built, how quick will it be built. Like We have no guidelines or templates to say what's going to be done by the next three months, what's going to be in place in the next six months. You know, when they make these announcements about new housing units and new homes without any kind of deadlines or details, then all we do, we find ourselves talking about it a year later. If I was leading this government, the budget back in April, we would have had a tender out for all those homes that needed to be repaired. That would have been done. And right now, there would be a number of homes available for people to move into. 
Well, if you were following, he got up at, to uh, respond to one question, but was quickly uh, did not get up to follow on subsequent questions. So, you know, this is the this is the problem here. I mean, I think what we're doing is we're speaking on behalf of the people of the province. We're not in there just to simply to ask questions. We're in there looking for answers, and the people of the province are looking for answers, and that's what we're asking for. You know, if you have a minister of the crown, then you have a minister of the crown. Stand up and answer the questions. It's very disappointing, uh, in my opinion, when you think about the fact that that's what you are. You're the minister of the crown. That's your job. Your job is to be open and transparent. Your job is to come out and talk to the people in Newfoundland and Labrador. And this is why the media gives you an opportunity to do that and ask you questions maybe that didn't get asked in the House of Assembly. But that's what you take on. That's part of when you take on the role of a minister. That's what's expected of you, to be open, to be transparent, and come out and be accountable for what's going on in your department. So that is the opposition leader, Tony Wakeham, speaking with reporters, including VOCM's Richard Duggan this morning, calling for the resignation of Paul Pike from the uh, position of minister responsible for Newfoundland and Labrador housing. And that is in relation to uh, what Paul Pike um, confirmed was uh, him misspeaking on the whole uh, 750 housing unit issue, uh, when in fact it was uh, 750 housing options. Uh, uh, a lot of people just uh, making the distinction that it, they are two very different things. Uh, any thoughts on that? By all means, do give us a call. When we, when we come back, the provincial government has... Uh, uh, introduced some proposals to uh, make some amendments to the province's Buildings Accessibility Act. Uh, those amendments received second reading in the House of Assembly yesterday, but at least one MHA is taking exception to that. We'll have more coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we're back. We have an update on that situation in Harbour, Maine. Two people are now in custody. Police have arrested two people in Harbour, Maine. A police presence will continue in that area as the investigation unfolds. Residents are free to move about as usual. There's no threat to public safety. They had issued a little warning for people to stay clear of the Ridge Road area as they were um, involved in an ongoing police operation. But now two people in custody and uh, residents are are free to move about as usual, although they will continue to see an increased police presence in the area. No threat to public safety. And you're heading out that way, aren't you, Claudette? Yeah, when you, when I heard that, I was wondering, hmm, is this still going to be happening? Uh, I guess there would be a way to get around uh, that area to go to Conception Harbor. But yeah, I'm planning on uh, taking in the Harbor Hunt. And I get scared very easily. Co-workers of mine used to purposely just jump out of the halls and just get a rise out of me. So I can imagine the words that are going to come out of my mouth tonight at the uh, harbor <laughs> just make sure you're not miked that's, that's all i know i can't okay. <laughs> you can't help it right like sometimes i mean if you get scared sometimes you just can't help your reaction <laughs> i was uh, in a store the other day and they had halloween decorations out yeah and i came up to the counter and i put whatever it was i was buying on the counter and uh, the girl was serving me and i said i hate to tell you i said but you have rats 
And she stopped and she said, what? <laughs> and of course, right there on the counter was a rat. Yes, a toy. Those plastic yes. rats that you can get at the, you know, the dollar store <laughs> or whatever. she freaked they, out. And she flipped it. out. I said, you know, I showed her and she's like, oh my. That was very dry of you, said, Linda. Oh I love goodness. it. Um, <laughs> she said, uh, they make me nervous. Anyway. Yeah. I said, maybe you should move that away from the cat. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be working at the Halloween store. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands taking exception to proposed amendments made to the province's Building Accessibility Act, which received second reading in the House of Assembly yesterday. The main amendments include removal of all pre-1981 exemptions from the current act, clarification of how the act applies to home-based businesses, and doubling of the current fines under the act to promote compliance. That's according to government. Well, if passed, the regulations under the Building Accessibility Act will also be updated to include a requirement that public buildings with over 300 people have a full-service family washroom. Sound good? Well, Paul Lane takes exception to a lot of that. He joins me now. Well, Paul, uh, the uh, provincial government has uh, introduced these um, amendments to the legislation affecting accessible public buildings. Uh, it received considerable debate in the House of Assembly yesterday, and I know there are some concerns. Uh, what are among them? Yeah, absolutely. And when I saw this, this legislation is something that I've certainly been lobbying for for a long time on behalf of constituents of mine and, and people in general uh, with disabilities throughout the province, particularly that 1981 uh, exemption for, for buildings uh, not to have to be compliant in terms of accessibility. And when I saw it coming on the order paper uh, originally, when, when it came up, I was so excited. I'm saying, finally, we're going to take that step that needs to be taken to correct this issue. But when I uh, got an opportunity to read the legislation, I have to say I was absolutely disappointed with what is uh, brought forward. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a real uh, step backwards and a slap in the face to persons in this province with a disability and certainly to the uh, advisory board, which had been put in place by the government to make recommendations on uh, many things. Uh, relating to persons with disabilities, including this 1981 rule. So describe to us how it uh, sets things a, a step back. Yeah, well, um, basically uh, what the 1981 rule basically says, uh, first of all, we'll get to that, um, is that if you have a building which was constructed prior to 1981, uh, you do not have a requirement uh, to make that building accessible. And uh, there was an advisory committee, as I said, put in place, um, and they made a recommendation on this, and I actually have the recommendation here uh, in front of me. And what they recommended was to, to, to make it mandatory to eliminate that 1981 rule altogether, make it mandatory for, uh, for all buildings to be accessible. But they were given, you know, they were realistic about the fact that there's a cost associated to this and people with businesses and, you know, building owners and so on. So they actually recommended a significant time frame, up to 20 years actually, uh, for this to come in, uh, for, for all the for all the uh, buildings to come in line. So what they said was that within five years from the royal assent, all buildings must have adequate accessible parking, walkways, entrances, and washrooms. 
while ensuring access to main common areas. I don't think that's a lot to ask. And that they were given a five-year window from the time that the bill um, received royal assent. So I think that was very reasonable. Within 10 years, all buildings uh, must have at least an additional 30% of the building beyond the, the, that first phase. Uh, in terms of square footage in compliance with the Buildings Accessibilities Act. And within 20 years, the building must be 100% compliant. And um, this legislation uh, that was brought forward yesterday uh, does not um, do any of those things. Basically, we're going to have the status quo uh, unless uh, the owner of a building decides that he or she is going to do renovations to the building uh, or to change the use of the building, unless that happens, the building can remain uh, as is, not accessible. So you have a property now that was built before 1981. You can say, well, nothing's really changed my business. I got no intentions of doing any uh, renovations here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep this building uh, not accessible to the general public uh, indefinitely, and that flies totally against. Uh, the intent of what was proposed uh, by this advisory committee and does nothing to uh, move forward the cause of inclusion and in making sure that all of our facilities are accessible. And what's even, I'll tell you, what's even more shocking than this, because that would apply to obviously to private uh, uh, buildings and businesses, but it also applies to public and we have schools, libraries, courthouses, you name it, all across this province that are not accessible. These are public facilities that are not accessible. And and and, and I've and I've looked into some of these in the past and been told, yeah, the building was built before 1981, so it doesn't have to be accessible. Our legislature is not even accessible. And uh, I think, you know, this is 2023, and that is absolutely shameful that in 2023 we still have all these public buildings, not to mention the private ones, but even public, because we should be leading by example at the very least, but all these public buildings that are not even accessible and that the government can rely on this 1981 exemption. So basically, unless we're going to decide to renovate the legislature, or renovate a library, or renovate a school, that we don't have to make these public facilities accessible. So it's not actually eliminating wrong. that exemption? Pardon me? It's not actually eliminating that exemption? It's not at all, unless what, what, what the, the change does here, basically, is that it says if you have a building and uh, currently, right? And as long if you decide that you're going to renovate that building, at that point in time, there would be a requirement to make the property accessible. Now, if you have a building and it has sort of multiple businesses or multiple pieces to it, then if you renovate a particular piece or component of it, you only need to make that component accessible, not the entire building. That's also there as well. Uh, whereas actually in the old one, if you made 50% or more of the building uh, was renovated, then the whole building would have to be accessible. Under this rule, you don't even have to do that. 
if it's broken up into uh, multiple businesses or multiple pieces and so on. So in that regard, that's even a step backwards. But, you know, the, the point is, is that there was uh, an advisory committee put in place by the government to make recommendations because we were going to be, finally, we were going to be accessible. We believe in inclusion uh, for, for, for people in this province. And when you think about it, Linda, we have an aging demographic. And I know lots of times when people think of someone with a disability or issues with access, you know, you, you probably think of someone who was born with that disability. But there are an awful lot of people in this province, seniors and so on, who were born without a disability, but as they aged, they developed one in terms of mobility issues and so on. And sometimes they're even invisible. You, you know, sometimes someone could have a disability, but to look at them, you don't even know they do. Um, so, you know, the point is, is that we have many, many people in this province with disabilities with the aging demographic that's only growing we currently don't have as i said public buildings many many public buildings throughout the province are not up the code they're not accessible which is totally ridiculous in my view and needs to be addressed 1981 rule or not but beyond that this legislation that was supposed to at least based on the recommendation of the committee eliminate that 1981 rule and uh, you know give business owners a 20 year window to get their properties fully accessible which is very very reasonable um now we're going to say as long as you don't make any renovations leave her as is and there's something terribly wrong with that. And as I say, uh, it's in my view, it's certainly a slap in the face to uh, the people who, uh, you know, put the time and effort into serving on this advisory committee and making these recommendations, and to all people in the province who have uh, accessibility issues and disabilities. Paul Lane, appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Linda, and have a great day. And that is the independent member for Mount Pearl Southlands, Paul Lane. Well, um, we're getting word now that uh, news may be coming down in the next uh, little while concerning um, an announcement on Atlantic Canadian affordability. Not sure exactly what that means, but could it be in reference to some of the concerns that have been raised and repeated uh, by Atlantic Canadian premiers, including Premier Andrew Fury? Uh, with their concerns about the carbon tax and how it unfairly uh, targets Newfoundlanders and Labradorians and others in Atlantic Canada and uh, affordability in this region. Um, it remains to be seen. We do not know. Uh, so we're standing by and we're watching uh, f for that uh, very closely. Um, so you're heading to Conception Harbour, Claudette? Yes, I have a number of family that want to go in tow as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, even though, like I said, it's I'm an easy scare. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's something that, you know, normally I don't do. Halloween usually comes and goes. We don't get a lot of, actually, we don't get any people uh, at our house for Halloween. And I feel that this is just one way to kind of just get in on the spirit of the season and just embrace what our province has. I feel that there's so many things to do in our province that sometimes we just don't take the time to to do it and then we're pleasantly surprised that oh yeah this is happening in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, the creator uh, came back from Ontario and wanted to bring the same um, experience to Newfoundland and uh, 
by what I'm seeing, it looks like it's a resounding success. And then, of course, in November, they're going to switch it up and do a Christmas kind of theme, too. So all about it fun um and it's it's always better in older spookier kind of places i uh, did a haunted hike in quebec city one time oh and you know how uh, have you been to quebec city i've been to old quebec yes. city yes yeah so you've, they've got all these little narrow and cobblestone streets. yeah and it's really got that era i mean it's absolutely gorgeous but it's really got that era Eerie, of yeah. age and you you just know that there's stories to be told here and yeah it was quite uh, quite interesting and I've done some in St. John's and you learn a lot of history too yeah so it'll be interesting I can't get over how many things there are I know there's something happening in Brigus as well I think the, there's a haunted library and that's Harper Grace very inexpensive yeah. to go to these things and sometimes we just forget we just do what we normally do we go to work we go home we eat we get ready for the next day but if you take the time to do these things with your family you're going to create some great memories well here's your homework for today (laughs) you're coming back and you're telling us all about it tomorrow Oh, well, I cannot tape myself because I will CRTC. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They they are sticklers <laughs> when it comes um, to that. Well, uh, that's so there's your homework for today. I, I look forward to hearing more about it. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Be, be um, in anticipation of Claudette's spooky stories. And um, uh, we'll have more on this announcement that's coming in the next little while concerning affordability in Atlantic Canada. Could it be elimination? of the carbon tax in this area. We'll see. Uh, Thanks for listening.